Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known to God, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, we recon- we, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their tras- trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you, be able to bring this uh, series to a close. And next Sunday, it's my intention that we'll pick back up in the Gospel of Matthew. But over the past seven weeks, we've really embarked uh, on a journey, at least that's been my intent a journey to help us think carefully about what it means to live Christianly in what seemingly is becoming an increasingly lawless culture. What does it mean to live as Christians in the world in which we now live? And my, my aim has not been so much to give us um, five practical tips for engaging the culture or, or even more so to call us to wage a culture war. No, rather, I've tried to do something far more profound and I hope to be lasting. Namely, to provide us with a biblical framework, a foundation, if you will, a lens to guide us through the myriad of challenges and issues that we face in the world. If if I just give you five tips, well, that only works for five things. What I've given you is a toolkit to face every challenge. At least that's been my intent. You can be the judge of the success of that. But as your shepherd, as your pastor, I've tried to instill in us principles so that we can make wise decisions in the world, to to make wise decisions with, first of all, a right understanding of humanity, to understand what it means to be made in the image of God. That's where we began this series seven weeks ago. Not only that, but in week two, I want us to see the glory of God in the church. What we're doing right now, that we are a new humanity. The beginning of of a new race of people to live forever in the new creation of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. In week three, I wanted us to understand God's design for the family and to see it as the foundation for every society. In week four, I wanted us to grasp the importance of vocation and your work and to see the beauty of God's plan for honest work. Week five, I wanted us to understand and have a proper view of the state as God's servant for humanity's good. And then last week, we we looked at the issue of justice and saw that the Scriptures give us a picture of true justice as loving one's neighbor as yourself. In other words, I want us to be rooted in the wisdom of God 
so that we might rightly live in this world and put on display the beauty of God's design for the world in order that we can tangibly and effectively and attractively call people to be reconciled to God. This is how we engage this world. I know we're all wondering, what's, what's the way to engage the culture? Many of us think it's, it's political activity. If we can really just get the right guy, right gal in office, we'll solve all our problems. And I've wanted to show you, no, that's not God's plan. I'm not saying it doesn't have a place. Go listen to the last the sermon on the state. But no, God has a far more effective strategy. And that is to engage His church and plant His church in the world with His message of a new world to come. And so with that foundation laid, today what I want us to do is kind of reflecting on all the previous sermons, and by, and by no means do I expect you to have remembered all of them, but I will be drawing on them to try to flesh this out a little bit more um, to us specifically as Oak Park on 1111 Allison Lane. I want to practically flesh out the mission of the church. What are we primarily called to be doing? What should this look like in your life? What does that entail? And I want us to see how we are to engage the world in which we live in, for us specifically southern Indiana. How do we engage this area, this world, with the gospel of Christ in such a way, brothers and sisters, that they can taste and see that the Lord is good? That the message we proclaim, they can look at us and say, He is good. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh, I want to be a part of that kind of humanity. There's something in this group. And so that when we speak, we have credibility. And so to that end, I want to draw our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as Maddie West read for us, 11 through 21, and in particular, I want us to focus in on that phrase in verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation, because that sums up our task. That's our task, the ministry of reconciliation. We may do other things in our life, but this is the one thing that we have been entrusted with. Paul says this in verse 18. He explains to the Corinthian church, and by extension to us, that through Christ, God reconciled to Himself the world, right? And He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That is the message He has entrusted us, the message of reconciliation. And so what I want you to understand is as we mine this text this morning and, and really springboard off that phrase, ministry of reconciliation, this ministry fundamentally is God's ministry. It is foundational. We are, we, God is the one who has begun this ministry. He is the one who is reconciling uh, the world to Himself in Christ His Son. God sought the world. He sought us out. He has enacted his plan, but here's part of his plan. The other half was, and entrust us, the church, with the message of what he has done. Do you see that? This isn't our mission. This is God's mission. This is the mission of the church because it is the mission of God to reconcile to himself men and women from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And so in this way, our primary purpose, brothers and sisters, as the church, as Oak Park, is to declare this message, to make this message known, namely that through faith in Christ, all people can be brought into a right relationship with their Creator, and in doing so, He will reorder all their other relationships. We have a message that as the world literally burns and men and women are fighting each other, and the world is divided over anything and everything. We come with a message that says, if you will be reconciled to God, 
He will reconcile your life in every other way. Come and taste and see it, he adds. Come and taste. And so with this mission in mind, this is my main point this Sunday. I think it's up on the screen. <laughs> I want us to be motivated. I want us to be gripped. I want us to salivate over this message. And it fan into flame a desire to make Christ known, to participate in tangible ministry of reconciliation. The scriptures say it, minister in word and deed. That's often how it's put. So I'm calling it tangible ministry of reconciliation because things that are tangible, I can touch, I can feel. I can see. I want us to be motivated in Christ to participate in tangible ministry of reconciliation. Why? So that others may joyfully live in the world in fellowship with their Creator, their God, forever. Not just now, but forever. Okay? And here in this passage, we begin by seeing Paul's motivation for ministry in Christ, which I think should serve as our motivation in ministry. And this is important because uh, we can have wrong motivations for ministry, right? We can have wrong motivations for gospel engagement. But I also think sometimes we just need motivation, don't we? We, just, we need a reason, right? And sometimes the only motivation that I think we have is a motivation of guilt. Well, I should be. And guilt is no means for obedience. No, we need a motivation that frees us for obedience, that liberates us to obedience. And I think this is what Paul is getting at as he makes a defense of his ministry and presumably sets himself up as an example for the church to follow. And Paul begins in verse 11 of our text saying, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's gospel ministry. We are persuading people to come to Christ. And Paul here is speaking of, when he talks about the fear of the Lord, he's talking about a godly fear, a reverential fear of the Lord that is motivating. It's not out of a fear as in, I'm scared of Jesus, therefore I better do it. No, this is a motivation of reverence of all, a godly fear which draws us in. And Paul explains a little bit more, if we just go a couple of verses previously, beginning in verse 9, that the motivation, this fear, this understanding, this respect of the Lord is actually built out of a great desire to please Him. You see in verse 9, he says, whether we are at home, that's left here on earth, or away, we go to heaven. Whether I die, go to heaven, whether I live and remain on earth, we make it our aim to what? To please Him. To please Him. He says, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be a day in which all of us will stand before our Savior. He says, our aim, my aim, is I want to please Him. I want to hear those glorious words, Well done, faithful servant, enter the joy of your Master. He says, we all will stand before Him. Don't you want to hear His praises? His commendation of you? And so Paul understands that he has been given a message, a, a stewardship, if you will, as an apostle. He is given a message to declare the message of reconciliation, and he knows that he's going to stand before Christ and give an account for what he has done. Corey read out of Matthew 25, he just Go a little bit before what we read, you got the parable of the talents. Of a good master who equips his, his servants with what they need. We want to be those who are investing this and hearing his praises. And so by keeping the fear of the Lord before him, keeping a day coming where we will one day see him, we will stand before him. Paul keeps his aim of pleasing Christ primary. You might be saying, that just doesn't resonate with me. But maybe you have had a parent, I 
or a teacher or a mentor or a coach or a friend, someone who is invested in you, who you love and you appreciate and you greatly admire and respect, if they have entrusted something to you, you want to be pleasing to them, not out of a sense of guilt and, and duty. No, you want to do it because you love them, right? It's all out of a love for them, a, a deep respect for them. You long to please them because you enjoy them. That's what he's talking about. That's the sense by which he is talking about the fear of the Lord. And so Paul's aim here is to please the one who has enlisted him. Like a child who, who longs to show their parent the work that they have done, and they have done it out of a love. That's not our only motivation. Paul doesn't linger just on the fear of the Lord, but he moves to another motivation, namely the love of Christ in verse 14. Do you see that? Verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. What's he getting at? He's talking about the love of Christ. Christ's love demonstrated on the cross. He says, this love motivates me. It controls me. Uh, some of your translations might say it compels me. We sometimes think of controls as limiting. We sometimes think of, you know, if I have limits or things that are, are, are boundaries on me, that's, that's not freeing, but it is freeing. You think about a fish has bounds by water, but if it was to escape those bounds, it wouldn't be free. It would be enslaved. But it remains free if it stays within the design that God has had for it. It's actually true for all of us in our lives. And Paul understands the love of Christ is that freeing control. And so this love that he talks about is Christ's love demonstrated on the cross and his resurrection. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. They might live to please him, if you will. They wouldn't live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This pattern of the cross of, of, of no greater love than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. Oh, that we would be so gripped, so enamored, so absorbed by that love that it overflows. It marks our life. It patterns our life. We're like Christ who, when reviled, does not revile in return, but willingly lays down his life for his friends to win people. It's a cruciform life. It's a cross-centered life that we bear the cross and how we live. And so the more we dwell on Christ's love demonstrated on the cross, the more actually, brothers and sisters, the love of Christ will control you, motivate you, compel you to live for him. Furthermore, we see another motivation, namely the work of Christ, here particularly in the new creation, as Paul calls it. You see it in verse 16. He says, from now on, from now on since when? Since the cross and resurrection. Everything has changed. From now on, on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That means we don't regard people according to worldly standards, worldly qualifications. We don't see them merely as flesh and blood. We see them as image bearers. He goes on. He says, if anyone is in Christ, verse 17, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's that idea of a new creation. A new world. Some of us are living so much for this world that is passing away. And we are utilizing all the powers of the old age which have passed away at the cross. I want us working with resurrection power. I don't know about you. I don't want the dead power of the old age. The things that have no effect in the life that are stone cold like the law written on stone tablets. I want something that writes the law of God on their hearts. You only understand that if you understand the cross and what it accomplished. You understand the work of the cross and see, oh, that's the power of the new creation that is going to come. And Paul is saying here that the power of the resurrection is actually evident in every person who comes to faith in Christ. 
The power of the new age to come has invaded your life and has awakened you, has taken out that hard heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in it. No political party can do that work. It can only take care of things on the outside, but it has nothing to do with who you are on the inside. That's why it's really woefully inadequate. It's woefully inadequate. That's why he doesn't call us to be political activists. He calls us to be ministers of reconciliation. In other words, the power of the new world to come, where all things are going to be reconciled to God, has actually begun in us. It began in the cross, and every heart that's being converted is people being brought into this new humanity, the church, the beginning of a new people who are going to inherit a new world. You understand that changes everything. Changes everything. And that's why Paul says, we no longer regard people according to the flesh. That's why he says we don't engage uh, this warfare with flesh and blood, with worldly powers. No, we understand it's a spiritual battle. And the sooner we figure that out, the sooner we'll be about the ministry of reconciliation. And so for this reason, we don't view people according to worldly standards. What are worldly standards? Their social status, their political party, their ethnicity, their education level. All these things by which we categorize. We do it all the time. We draw lines in the sand like champs. <laughs> we do it. I'm not saying those, some of those things don't have some impact. Religion, where, where are they at? How do we classify people? No, Paul makes it real simple here. We see people, are they in Christ or are they out of Christ? Do we see them in Christ? Because if they are in Christ, they are a brother and sister. If they are in Christ... They are a brother and sister, no matter what their education level, no matter their ethnicity, no matter what the voter registration card said. They are in Christ. They are brother and sister. We are to treat them as such, but they're outside of Christ, no matter their education level, what's on their voter registration card. No matter what classification they are, then we seek to persuade them not to our preferences. No, we seek to persuade them to come to Christ. We want to persuade them. That's why, brothers and sisters, we must be about the ministry of reconciliation, foremost and primary, because all other things to change the world are actually in vain. It is so in vain. Not saying they don't have a place, but when you make them primary, you make that your mission, your life statement, your life's work, in the end, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to say, well, that, that's done with. It's done. The whole thing, I burned it up. But you know what will last? The people you shared the message of reconciliation with. It's the only thing that will last the only thing. Finally, Paul presents a fourth motivation beginning in verse 18, namely the representation of Christ. What do we mean by that? Well, look in verse 18. He says, all this is from God. All this what? All the new creation. The new creation to come that's begun in your life. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you're in Christ, you have a new heart. All this and what is still to come comes from God who through Christ was reconciling the world to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When we look back at the cross, God is re renovating the world there. He's beginning it. You and I are the continuation of this renovation. Paul calls it, we are the first fruits of the harvest to come. The first fruits of Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection because he's the first one to go before us. We are the first fruits of the new creation. We're the seeds that guarantee the rest of the world's going to be reconciled and resurrected as well. And so based on what God began at the cross, he has now entrusted us with this message. 
And you see it in verse 20. Therefore, in light of what God has done through Christ on the cross and entrusting us with this message, we are ambassadors for Christ. Representatives, if you will. And what does that mean? He goes on, God making His appeal through us. Do you know that? God makes His appeal to the world to be reconciled to Him through Oak Park Baptist. Through you. That's His plan. And so He goes on and He gives the exhortation, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Are you reconciled to God? Do you know if you've been reconciled to God? Because today we implore you, be reconciled. Turn to Him in Christ through faith. Trust the cross and His resurrection as His redemption for you. And say, I will follow you. I want to be a part of that new creation. I am turning the old things. I want them to pass away. I want the new things. We implore you. We, that word means beg. We are begging on behalf of God. Be reconciled to Him. Be brought in a right relationship with Him. And so what Paul's saying here is remarkable. God's work of reconciliation through Christ, which began at the cross, is to be represented in you and me. Is that true? When people watch your life, watch what you're about, talk what you talk about all the time when they say, oh yeah, they're an ambassador for Christ. Or when they say, oh, they're an ambassador for fill in the blank. I'm not saying you can't ever, this isn't like an all or nothing, but we should be known as ambassadors for Christ above everything else. We represent Christ to the world so that why? They might be brought into a right relationship with their Creator. So keeping these motivations in mind, I've given you four. The fear of Christ, the love of Christ, the work of Christ, and the representation of Christ. With those manifestations or those motivations, we are to manifest Christ in our ministry. It's what we're to be about. So that leads us to our second point. Let Christ be manifested in your ministry. We think of ministry, we sometimes think of formal activities. That could be true. But your life, your influence, what God has entrusted to you, let Christ be manifested. And how do we do that collectively as a church? That's what I want us to think about as with the latter half of this sermon. How do we make Christ visible? Have you ever wondered that? How can we make Christ known and that He can be seen in the world? Well, Here's the remarkable thing about how God works since Genesis chapter 3. We see God by hearing. We see by hearing His Word, and that's why we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So what are we to do? We are to be about declaring, sharing, making known the message of reconciliation. Well, what's the message? Well, we've already seen a component of it is an explicit call, a summoning, a commanding of people to be reconciled to God. We're calling people, be right with God. We're calling people out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so practically speaking, we, Paul says to Ephesians, expose the unfruitful works of darkness and warn them of the judgment to come. Why do you have to be reconciled with God? Because on account of these things that we see in the world, the things that you are participating in the world, the wrath of God is coming. I know some of you are like, I don't know. That's not going to go over well. That's not real popular. That, that's not going to really win friends and influence people. Makes us seem out of our mind. Paul says if we're be out of our mind, verse 13, it's for God. It's for God's glory. 
we're in our right mind, we're appealing to you, influential, then it's for your benefit. Either way, we're not doing it for our benefit, we're doing it for the glory of God and the benefit of people. So as we call people to be reconciled to them, then we then tell them, despite the abundance of sin in their life and the brokenness that no doubt it has caused, if you listen just long enough, you get to know people long enough, everyone's broken. Everyone's hurting. Those who have more resources can mask it better, but everyone is hurting. And if you listen long enough, you will hear the brokenness in their life where sin has wrecked havoc on them. And you can extend the mercy of God and say, He calls you to be reconciled, but I want you to know He has already done the work so that you can be reconciled. This is what Paul explains in verse 21, the most glorious passage, I think, in all of Scripture. It summarizes the gospel so succinctly, and if you, if you mine the depths of every word and every phrase, you would not have long enough time to do so. But yet it is simple enough that even a child can understand. He says, verse 21, for our sake, because we can't be reconciled to God. We need Him to do it for our sake. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What's, what's he talking about here? We sit down with people. We talk to people as God gives us opportunity. And we explain to them that God has placed the curse of sin upon Jesus. The curse and wrath that we deserve, He has placed upon His Son, though His Son has committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. He perfectly followed the Father. He never rebelled. Yet, God placed His wrath of sin and hatred of sin on Christ for you. So that He might bless us with righteousness. What does that mean? That we might be justified. Paul explains that in verse 19. What is that? In the middle of their verse, not counting their trespasses against them. Here, here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Here's the glorious news of the gospel. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if He had lived your life. A life that may be filled of, with sexual immorality, jealousy, fits of rage, anger, murder, theft, selfishness, falsehood. God treated Jesus as if He had lived your life of a sinner so that He may treat you as if you had lived His life as a non-sinner. Isn't that good news to share with people who are broken? It's great news. And in this way, He does not count your trespasses against you. Do you want Jesus? That's the best news you could ever hear. And this is the message that He's actually entrusted to us. It's simple, isn't it? Yet it's profound. It's profound because it is the message that says you can be made right with God. And as you're right with God, He reorders your life and makes you right with others and the creation around you. And He'll continue to do this work until the new creation when all things are complete. And so how do we do this? How, how, how do we, practically speaking, bring the message of reconciliation to the world? What should you be doing? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, it, it's going to be profoundly simple. It begins in your home. It begins in your home. Is this message being loved, cherished, celebrated, taught for your children to watch or that unbelieving spouse to see? Is this message what you're always talking about, always rejoicing in, inviting them to share it? Because if it's not, where else are they going to see it? Yes, there are other opportunities, but you are the greatest influencer in that person's life. You are living with them day in and day out. If they don't see it from you, really, where are they going to see it? Second, it must happen here. In the assembly, 
as we gather Sunday after Sunday and we sing songs and we preach sermons, or I preach sermons, you listen to them. The message of reconciliation must resound every Sunday with such crystal clarity. And so in this way, what happens? Well, at least two things. Number one, you're hearing even today, oh, this is how I should be preaching the gospel to people. But also, you should have confidence that every Sunday you could bring someone who does not know Christ here and you would rest assured they will hear the message of reconciliation. I was talking to one of our members a couple last Sunday and I was just thanking them. They're faithfully bringing people in their sphere of influence. And I said, I'm thankful and I want you to know is my prayer that this would be a church where you can rest assured that whoever you bring here will hear the, the good news of the gospel. But not only hear that good news, but would be loved and brought in. I don't want us just to be a church that says, oh man, they are so loving and receptive of everybody, but they never hear the gospel. Nor do I want us to be a place where it's like, man, the truth resounds, but no one's loved. No word and deed, word and tangible ministry. Do we have eyes for the ministry of reconciliation this morning? We're looking for those who may not yet be reconciled to God, but are here. Third, all our ministries, now I know a lot of them aren't going, but our aim, whenever we get through this mess, all our ministries must have as their primary purpose the message of reconciliation. Our goal here is not just to host community events and activities. Our goal is to provide platforms for opportunity to share Christ with people. Now, that, I think of the fall festival. That's one that doesn't have maybe an immediate payoff, but it, it lets our community know we're here. Let's them know we're here and they experience the love of Christ and it, and it, com, it, it kind of complements other things that we are doing so that maybe we'll have another opportunity to preach Christ. But then there's other ministries that every time we gather, they're going to hear Christ. I think a Wednesday night, for instance. Every time kids in this neighborhood come in, they should hear the message of reconciliation and they should feel the love of God extending to them. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God has given us an incredible opportunity for ministry by putting us at 1111 Allison Lane. Some of the things that we're able to do ministry-wise wouldn't work in most of our neighborhoods. Just by the demographics. It just wouldn't work. But it's easier for a rich man to enter the eye of a needle or a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? They don't need us. But you can see the brokenness around here. The need is evident. So when we say hot dogs are available at the fall festival, they come. And we can extend that love. And we open up Wednesday night, and you see the bikes lined up outside the carport. They come. Try to do that in my neighborhood. No one's coming. We got better stuff on our own. We don't need your stuff. But we don't just do it to, to host them. We do it to, to invest in them, love on them, share Christ with them. And so we need to have an eye out for ministering to our neighborhood. Wednesday has proven to be one of the most engaging times with our neighborhood than anything else that we do. And it's sad that right now that we're not able to do it. From the children and the students who come in here, but guess what? Do you have an eye for the people who come at times and linger in the hallway? You have an eye for that grandparent, that parent, that boyfriend, that girlfriend who comes in and is dropping off that kid or coming to pick them up? Or do you let them just stand there? Great opportunity to say, you're welcome here. We love you. Hey, do you come here every Wednesday night? Maybe we could go get coffee. I'd love to get to know you. Simple things. Open up opportunities to share the message of reconciliation. 
We go on, we think about the jail ministry. Again, something that we're not able to do at this time. But when we preach to those inmates, those men and women, what do we want to do? We want to expound. We want to declare. We want to put on display the glorious riches of God's grace in Christ. Why? So that they would abandon their life of crime. So they would, they would stop doing drugs. And stop selling them. And stop robbing stores. And stop beating their wives or abusing their children. And they would be reconciled to God and then be reconciled in other areas of their life. This is why we partner with ReCenter. ReCenter is a, a ministry that, that, that works in Louisville and southern Indiana. Our, our pastor, one of our pastor, Corey Bledsoe, is the director of the ministry, seeks to help homeless people. But not just to, to provide them with shelter, to provide them with food, but actually to tangibly minister to them so that we could share the gospel with them and call them to faith and repentance in Christ. So they would live as God has designed them to live. And they, they would know that they are made with a purpose. They understand the proper understanding of vocation and how to work. We want to help them develop skills so they can get an honest job, find the, the ways where they can get rehab to get off the drugs so they won't return to it. The same thing similarly happens with Choices Life Resource Center. We're helping broken mothers and, and fathers, boyfriends and girlfriends who, who find themselves entrusted with an image bearer. And they don't know it. They're scared. They don't know if they have the money. They don't know if they want the responsibility. But they have come, and, and, and many of you served there, and you are the face, a smiling face that says, you are welcome here. But it is not just so we can give you an ultrasound, pack you up with some diapers and baby food. No, it is so you can taste and see that the Lord is good and that you would be reconciled to Christ. That is why we do it. But here, brothers and sisters, such ministry, oh, it sounds glorious, doesn't it? And it is beautiful. If any of you ever go and serve down there, it's beautiful. The beauty of the gospel displayed in the mess of people's lives. It's beautiful. But make no mistake, it is not easy. What do I mean by that? It's not easy because it's going to take steadfast patience on all our part. Most of us think and want People's lives change like we put our, our, our microwave dinner in the microwave. 30 seconds, it's done. Ding. Oh, it, it's just a little cold on the inside. Put it in another 30 seconds. Ding. No. It's going to take patience. Parents, when you're sharing Christ with your children, most of the time they don't come to faith the first time they hear it. I'd probably venture to guess never. Never. You don't say, done, pack up the bags. You disobeyed me again. Even when they come to Christ, you disobeyed me. You're done. No, you don't do that. You're long-suffering with them. You realize, hey, this is a journey. This is a long haul. And you know that to raise a child up in the fear and admonition of the Lord is going to take steadfastness, patience, diligence, working through love as you continually apply the gospel to every situation. Hey, you remember that confession you made? Hey, here's how the gospel impacts that. That's how you're a minister of the gospel in your own home, by the way, mom and dad. That means that presupposes you know how to do that. But on the same level, we, we work with infants in Christ. On the church level. There are going to be people ravaged by sin who are going to come in and, and they don't know Christ. Or they've come to know Christ, they come here, but they are, they're infants. They don't know how to walk. There are people here who may not realize who've never had a loving father in their life, ever. Or maybe even a mother whose lives have been wrecked by substance abuse, whether done to them or they've engaged in. Who've lived selfishly for their entire life till now. And they've met Christ, and now we are trying to reconcile, reorder an entire life of habits. That doesn't happen. You don't work that way. Some people don't even know how to be responsible. And the ministry of reconciliation is first 
calling them to be made right with God, but then extending the regular, ongoing, patient, long-suffering discipleship of showing how their new relationship with Christ actually impacts every area of their life. And just like you and I didn't just pop out perfect, don't expect them to. Don't expect them to. This is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take years of patient endurance. So just thinking forward just a little bit, brainstorming a little bit, what, what might this look like? We, we certainly have not arrived. I think there's a lot of good things going on, but we want to strive all the more. How do we do ministry of reconciliation? One of the areas that I'm burdened about, and I want to see, and, and again, this is more seeding the ideas and working towards them in years to come. But we need a place that a man or a woman who comes to faith at the jail, at recenter, choices, they can come here and be discipled, not only in knowing the scriptures, but we help them know how to get a job, how to manage their finances, how to relate socially with others, how to avoid evildoers, how to love their spouse, raise their children, how to serve in the church and be patient. That's not, going to be, that's not just going to happen and we give them a connect card and say, hey, there's great three options of discipleship classes for you to take. It's not going to happen that way. Those have a purpose, but it's not going to meet this need. That mom who comes in here, single mom, ravaged by sin, she's going to need some of you moms to reach out to her. And I know you've got your hands literally full. She needs to know, because the moment they walk in here, they know I'm, I'm an outsider. And what do we do then? They need mentors. They need spiritual mothers. They need spiritual fathers who are going to come alongside them and say, hey, I'm going to meet with you. And we're working, Pastor Brian's working on a discipleship curriculum at kind of various levels. But we need to think through this, not just do they know the gospel, but now do they understand how they're reconciled in every area of their life. And they're going to need you some of you, to walk with them. Hold their hand. Teach them. Avenues for this can really be endless. I think on a bigger scale, some of the things that maybe we look in our community, what, what needs does our community have? Things that we could leverage for gospel opportunity. And I, I think of things that have been toyed around, but, but we, Lord... It, for whatever reason, hasn't gifted us the people who can organize this, do this, but maybe you're here now. I could see us having an after-school program, right after school. They come here, and, and, and they get a snack. They get help with their homework. They have activities until mom and dad get home. And we're sharing Christ with them, loving on them. That takes some manpower. That takes some availability. I could see us rebooting ESL ministry. We've got several of you who actually do that or are looking for ways to do that. We need to organize that well, have good structures, and have the people who are gifted at that to run those things so we can reach people who, who aren't like us, and they will come. I could see us partnering a little bit more with ReCenter and hosting some Jobs for Life classes here in southern Indiana, advertise for them, bring people in, and then have people strategically in those classes to walk with people. Employers and people in other places of business who say, hey, I'm going to help leverage my, my influence and give you an opportunity to have a job that no one else would let you have. And be long-suffering with you. We want to provide marriage counseling and family counseling, which is all gospel counseling and applying the gospel to what God's design is for their life and they could see the beauty of what God's design is and actually call them out of the chaos that they're in. That's going to take patience, long-suffering, and kindness. I could see some of you running various types of summer camps in your, your niche area from computers to sports to music, things that would gather these kids who have nothing except to get in trouble all summer. Things that you, we could do, we could host, we could leverage. And those are just some ideas that I've thought of. Let's close here. Here's what I want you to come away with this morning. While God has not called us to solve the world's problems, He hasn't. 
While God has not called us to solve the world's problems, He has called us to invite people to know the one who has. That's what we do. And in doing so, our, our ministry here at Oak Park, the things that we are doing from Jeff High to Wednesday night to jail ministry to Choices Recenter, you know what? He's going to go unnoticed by most in the world. Most of the world's not going to see it. We're never going to get praises by and large, from the community for solving all the problems and injustices in the world. We're, we're, we're not going to get accolades. In fact, most Christians won't even know who we are, just like we don't know what the Lord's doing through many Christians around the globe. But make no mistake that what we are doing week in and week out, from the weekly assembly to the ministries that scatter and go out from this church, as you seek to raise up godly children in your home, show the love of Christ to everyone we come in contact with, make no mistake that God is making His appeal through us to the world to be reconciled to Him. And in this way, guess what's going to happen over time? People from all sorts of backgrounds, ethnicities, economic and educational levels are going to be reconciled to God in Christ. It's already happening already happening and it's just going to continue to happen because it is here that the power of the new world to come is being manifested. The message of the cross is not only being declared but it's being represented. It's being embodied by this church. And so I want to encourage us maybe dream a little get excited a bit. Let us continue our mission because which is God's mission, the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord, what a glorious plan you have of redemption, a plan that no one would have believed if you had told it to us. And yet, the same power and same spirit that rose Christ from the dead has resurrected our dead hearts and is occurring and is working salvation as the Word is going forth. Spirit accompanies the Word and draws people to Yourself and You have chosen to use weak and foolish vessels like us so that Your power would be manifested in our weakness. Lord, we are weak, but Lord, we long for people to come to know you. Join this new humanity being assembled at 1111 Allison Lane and prepare for the new heavens and the new earth to come. May we be faithful to the ministry you've entrusted us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen.